time you've been to a Monday Thursday service? Fantastic. Okay, well, hopefully uh, it won't be the last, and uh, hopefully you'll find that this will help you uh, to focus on what this Holy Week is all about. So John tells us in uh, John 13 that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. They gathered for a final meal. And we'll be reading through the scripture uh, about this last night. But I want to give you a setup for it. So Jesus took on the role of a servant. Typically a servant would greet guests and wash them ceremonially. Wash their hands, wash their feet. And so Jesus does this. And it's unnerving uh, to his disciples because of their esteem of him. And so if you ever wonder where we get the term servant leader, it was here. And it, 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 it caught them off guard, uh, put them off balance a bit. Uh, but that's what the setup for this evening was. It was something very special to happen. So after this, and after dismissing Judas, Jesus told the disciples that he was going away. And without any explanation, he immediately said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And it just hangs there. Later in the meal, Jesus also said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So Christians commemorate this last supper uh, during Holy Week to remember these things and to prepare themselves for the celebration of Easter. Without this, the celebration of Easter is a little thin. It lacks a substantial heft that it deserves. Why? Because we come in for a celebration without any sense of why. It's like going into a party and you say, whose birthday is it? What, what, what's going on here? Uh, you don't know why you're there to celebrate. You have no sense of appreciation for what's being done at that moment. So Christians thought, well, let's, let's gather together and remember uh, this occasion and walk through this week together in a way to prepare our hearts for what is to come. And so this phrase, a new command I give you, new commandment in Latin is mandatum novarum, the new mandate. In French it became Monday, in English it became Maundy. So that's how we get the name, Maundy Thursday. In the midst of Holy Week, we celebrate this very special night on which Jesus gathered his disciples for this final supper uh, before what would follow. And so because Jesus elevated this commandment, this new commandment, this is how everybody will know you're my disciple. If you love one another as I have loved you. Therefore, it was elevated to the great commandment. We know that the commandment that Jesus said was the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so in this, in this very interesting moment, when he's preparing them for what is to come, he elevates this new commandment in a sense to summarize what previously everybody knew as the top commandment, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
So in addition to this great commandment, uh, perhaps you've heard of the Great Commission. Uh, the Great Commission to go out and make disciples under the authority of Jesus. Uh, I think of the great uh, community, the church. We're called to be the great community of Christ. But so why call it great? I think it's because as soon as you try to do it, as soon as you try to fulfill the great commandment, as soon as you try to fulfill the great commission, as you uh, try to be the great community, you say, oh, no, great. <laughs> what is this? I can't do this. I, I can't love like Jesus love. Are you kidding me? I don't know how to make disciples of all nations. I, I don't know how to be a community. Oh, great. Now what am I going to do? You ever feel like that? We learn by experience that apart from God, uh, great means impossible. A new impossible commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. A new impossible commandment I give you. Go make disciples of all nations. A new impossible commandment I give you. Be my people, the bride of Christ, the body, the family of God. You can take that further, right? By this definition, every marriage is great. Think about it. Holy moly, how did I get into this? Now what do I do? Oh, great. I had no idea how to be a husband. You have no idea how to be a wife. Uh, every great parent, right? I just met with a young couple uh, preparing to baptize their child. They're going to be great parents, if you know what I mean. Very quickly, they're going to say, oh, great. How do I get by on two hours of sleep a night? How do I get by when this child is old enough to say, I, me, mine? Right? Great. Every ministry is great. Every ministry deserves congratulations and condolences. Congratulations on your new ministry. Wow. <laughs> trustee, huh? Okay, then. How's that going for you? And the new trustees say, oh, great. I had no idea I was so unprepared, ill-equipped, overwhelmed. Therefore, every life is great. Every life apart from Christ is impossible. And yet he says, this is the new commandment I give you. Do this so that everybody will know that you're my disciple. And so we see that history of humankind is a painful story of great intentions gone awry. Every great human endeavor is great until you actually have to do it. In fact, I've noticed that every endeavor is easy as long as you don't have to do it. How tough can it be? How hard can it be? And so we can't go there without God. There's nothing new about a commandment I can't keep anyway. What's new? <laughs> I know I can't do that. What's new about that? What's so great about that? And like those disciples on that evening, later in this meal, Thomas, we know doubting Thomas, said, I, I have no idea how to do this. How do we know the way to go? And what did Jesus say? Do you remember this? Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the way. Well, as soon as he said this, instead of Peter saying, well, tell me more about that. What do you mean by new commandment? How am I going to keep it? He goes back to the other thing Jesus said. He said, well, okay, but where are you going? Where are you going? Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now. You're not prepared, Peter. You don't know 
You don't have what it takes. But you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I'm serious about this. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, just in case we miss the import of this, Matthew and his gospel tacks on more detail. I don't know if there was competition between Matthew and Peter, uh, but this is not a flattering detail that Matthew adds on. You see, in Matthew's gospel, because we're reading from John here, in Matthew's gospel, he says, he has Peter saying, even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And just to make the point, Matthew then adds this, and all the disciples said the same thing. Great. 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 And as we will read tonight, Luke tells us how it was fulfilled. So after denying Christ three times, it says, just as Peter was speaking, the rooster crowed. And this is where it gets really hard. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. into the shadows. They all backed in where the light was dim and they couldn't be identified. And was this how Jesus loved them? With betrayal and denial? Obviously not. And if they could do this to Jesus, what would they do to each other? If all of them bowed, if all of them basically swore their allegiance to him, saying, I would never deny you. And they did this. What would they do to each other? So in living the great commandment, we confront a great conundrum. Before we even get out the door, before we even take our first step, we face this great conundrum. It's this. I can't love like Jesus. I want to, but I fall short over and over and over again. Can you relate to that? Do you find yourself falling short? It'll be different next time. I'm going to start my term paper the first day of the semester. <laughs> Great. Great. So tonight and tomorrow night, we remember why Jesus did what he did, because we just don't have what it takes to fulfill it without him. Let me give you a glimpse of where it goes. Here's Peter writing years later, having been reconciled to Christ. He says, writing in 1 Peter, first chapter, he writes to these people, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, you've come into this relationship with Christ. You've given your heart, soul, mind, and strength to him. You belong to him. You claim him as Savior and Lord. Now you have sincere love for each other. 
And he says, love one another deeply from the heart. Not in word only, but from the heart. From the center, the core of who you are in Christ. Then he says this, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Have you ever noticed how true that is? That love covers a multitude of sins? You are such a failure in your own mind, in your own eyes, in your own heart. And yet somebody decides to love you in spite of you. For you, it's not from them if love. If you do this, I'll love you. Or because love, because you are this way, I'll love you. It's in spite of the fact that you are you. In all your fallibility and failing, I will love you. That covers a multitude of sins. And as we learn to love, that kind of love out of who Christ is in us, even our imperfections aren't as important anymore. Because people will say, I see how she's trying to love like Jesus. I see how he's trying to love like Jesus. It's powerful. It's transformational. So this is why God the Father sent his son to die for us and to show us his love, to demonstrate his love, to teach us and to proclaim his love. And not only that, to make it possible for us to participate in his love. Let me read you this out of Matthew's Gospel. The moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, the skies opened up and he saw God's Spirit. It looked like a dove descending and landing on him. And along with the Spirit, a voice saying, This is my Son, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my life. That was the Father speaking of the Son. And because of the Son and what he's done, that's how the Father speaks of you. That's how the Father wants to speak to you and through you, his love. So we see in Christ we are chosen by God and marked by his love. We learn to live in his grace and walk in his love because he delights in us learning how to love like he loves us. And so tonight, let these words wash over you. Tomorrow, come back and let these words, as we take them even deeper, wash over you. Let them sink in deep. I want to give you full permission to open your heart and your mind to God tonight. To settle in, to listen carefully to the words, to savor the music. To ask God that this would be a grace note from him to you. That he would free you up to feel what you need to feel. To remember what you need to remember. To become convinced of what you need to become convinced of. Let this be a moment of remembrance and renewal, restoration realignment tonight and tomorrow night so that truly Sunday will be a, a day of celebration. So let these words, let these truths sink in deep. Let them make you weep as you savor the Savior's love for you. Don't be embarrassed by your tears. Don't be embarrassed if you start to feel a, a sense of grief and loss. You know Christ, perhaps. Why am I feeling these things? Because you're remembering who you were and what you'd be without him. The goal is not to make ourselves feel bad, maudlin, morose, but rather to reconnect our hearts to the heart of God and realize this is why I believe in him. This is why I embrace him. This is why I live in him. So let's remember our need for God so that we can truly celebrate uh, all this good stuff that 
he makes possible in Christ. Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for us, that as these leaders and readers remind us of, of your word by reading your word, as the music lifts our hearts and minds to you and gives us voice to express who you are and who we are in you, I pray, Lord, that you would touch us deeply. You'd move us in deep and meaningful ways. You'd allow us to be thoughtful before you, that you would allow us, Lord, to reconnect our first love, which is you. That, Lord, as we confess our sin, as we call out to you silently or literally out loud, that you would answer, you would hear, you would meet us where we are tonight. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's hear the word of God. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him.
festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. saying, This is my body given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as he has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this.
on that night that he was betrayed, during the meal, Jesus took bread and having blessed it, he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup and having blessed it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you do this in remembrance of me. Now this meal was a meal. We don't get the opportunity to have this as a full meal over many hours. Lots of conversation, uh, lots of teaching, times of, uh, times of laughter, times of, of silent reflection. But that was the context for this meal. And to give it a little of that feel, we are going to have communion around tables together tonight. And so I'm gonna ask Michelle to come forward and. Uh, talk through the logistics of that with us. Well, at my home church growing up, this was something that we always did, and so we thought we would try it tonight. And what we have are three communion tables in the back, one up here and one over here. And what the ushers are going to do, we have Evan and Andy in the back and Dennis and Wayne up front. They will be dismissing you in probably groups of six, since that's what most of the rows are made up of, or eight. We can fit eight around a table. There are table hosts at each table that will guide you to serving each other around the table. And if you cannot kneel, um, that table back there in the rear uh, has chairs for those of you who don't wish to kneel. And um, you'll only be sitting on your knees for a couple of minutes. And um, we just invite you to follow your table hosts as they explain what you'll be doing. They'll be modeling the uh, behavior that they'd like you all to do. And we're going to start with the choir and the worship team, or whoever's available. The choir can go here and over here, and then the ushers will begin dismissing. Okay, so this front section will end up coming to these two tables, and the back section from this aisle back will be going to the rear. Okay, we'll give it a try. Thank you. Can I pray for us? Lord Jesus, we commit these elements to you, recognizing your presence in them. Lord, we believe that your grace is sufficient. Your grace meets us at our point of deepest need. And so, Lord, at this moment as we gather around these tables, I pray that you'd bring to our heart and our mind our deep need for your deep grace, our deep yearning for your deep love, our deep hope for your abiding presence. Thank you that we are a family of families, whether we're here alone tonight or with our literal family, that we are a family in you. And so, Lord, we gather around this table recognizing your presence in our midst among us, leading and guiding and ministering your grace to us. We pray and thank you for being here. In Jesus' name, amen.
Has everyone had a chance to go to the table? Just want to be sure we covered everyone. Thank you. Let's continue worshiping the Lord. Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If, if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son of Man himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? 
While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant on the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. For Jesus, Then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of the t temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when the darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. 
Woman, I don't know him. He said a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Peter then remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So now go in the love of Christ, silently, thoughtfully, reflectively, pondering this great love that motivated him to do what he did, and our great need for it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.